Hello, my name is Keegan Peck, and this is the Pipeline Project Podcast. Are you at peace? That's probably not a question you hear very often. I'm not sure that I've even been asked that question. But do you consider yourself at peace? I guess how you answer would have a lot to do with what peace means to you. If peace means that everything around you is going great and that you couldn't be happier, then I would bet that more times than not, you are not at peace. Because life is messy. It's full of ups and downs. But if your peace comes from something more, from something steady and unchanging, then I'll bet your answer to the question of if you were at peace would be yes. At least, it should be. But just because it should be doesn't mean it always is. Not because we aren't trying, but because we forget. We live in a world that tells us constantly how many things are going wrong. We are constantly reminded why things are not okay. And sometimes we start to believe it. Sometimes our peace can be drowned out by the noise of all that is going on around us. Sometimes it's hard to remember that everything is going to be all right, even when things are not all right, right now. There's a passage in John chapter 14 with which you might be familiar. Verses 1 through 4 read, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Maybe you've heard these verses used before to talk about why we as Christians have hope. It's a powerful and loving message where Jesus is talking to his disciples to encourage them, and it's one that applies to us as well. But what makes this even more powerful is where and when it occurs. On its own, it's encouraging, but it's when Jesus said it, in the timeline of events, that is important. A great thing about the Bible is that people have divided it up into chapters and verses. Also, a bad thing about the Bible is that people have divided it up into chapters and verses. It's great because we can easily navigate the Bible to find what we're looking for. However, sometimes that causes us to miss the context of a passage. A good practice is to always back up, even if it's in another chapter to see if there's any important contextual information. This is one of those instances where it makes a world of difference. In John chapter 13, one chapter back, we find Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. Verse 1 begins the chapter with, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He knew his time to suffer 
was almost at hand. He knew he didn't have a lot of time left with his disciples. He demonstrated submission and service by washing their feet. He identified Judas as his betrayer, even though the rest of the disciples didn't understand. And then he began to talk about going to a place where they couldn't yet come. Verses 31 through 35 are very powerful, especially when we realize Jesus' time was limited. Then in verses 36 through 38, the verses right before chapter 14 that we read earlier, we read this exchange. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now let's continue into chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Jesus reiterated this thought in verses 27 and 28 when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Peter is about to go through a very dark time. All the disciples are. I recently heard a minister bring this up in a sermon, and I had never thought about it before. Peter was about to be in a very similar place as Judas Iscariot. Peter is going to deny Jesus. He is going to deny that he even knows him. And Peter will do this when Jesus needs him most. Now, of course, we know that Jesus was God and that he knew all that was happening. He chose it. However, he was also human. I can't imagine him not feeling alone and scared. Isn't that part of what his anguish was while praying in the garden? And during this dark time, his disciples abandoned him. We know Peter is following to see what happened to him, but he is distant. We are also told that another disciple is there, which we assume is John. However, neither of them tries to intervene or says that they are with Jesus. And it is in the middle of all that that Peter vehemently denies Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, Peter was convicted in his heart. I don't think Jesus was convicting him. I think he was acknowledging that the prediction had come true. But Peter was obviously struck to the core at the weight of what he had done, especially after just telling Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. Can you imagine what he must have felt? How would you have felt? 
Matthew 26 tells us that he went out and wept bitterly. These are the events that are in store for Peter. So doesn't that make Jesus' comments about not letting your heart be troubled seem a little more intentional? All the disciples are about to leave him, and once Jesus gives up his life, they will believe that he is dead. They will be in a state of doubt, possibly one of confusion, and maybe in a state of hopelessness. This is what is about to happen. But Jesus knows this. Yet he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled, because he is going to prepare a place for them. It doesn't seem that they understood him, especially after Thomas's question in verse 5 when he said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? But I wonder if maybe when things were so bad, while Jesus was in the tomb, if they thought about these words, if maybe they had an impact on them, that maybe when they were about to abandon all hope, if Jesus' words echoed in their minds. Even though the disciples didn't understand most things Jesus said until later, I do wonder why Jesus would have said these words here, if they were to have no effect while they were about to go through such a dark time, when their faith was about to be tested so strongly. Part of what makes me wonder about this is that only eleven of the disciples were there when he said these words. Judas had already left. I know there were predictions made about Judas's betrayal. Jesus said in Matthew 26:24, "The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. However, I wonder if Jesus was talking about Judas because of what he was about to do in betraying him, or if it was because of what would happen to him after he had betrayed Jesus, when he felt such horrible remorse and despair that he went and killed himself. Were his actions so different from Peter's? Judas betrayed the Son of God. However, when Peter denied Jesus in front of others, wasn't that a type of betrayal? I'm beginning to go further than I'm qualified to speak about. But maybe, during the middle of Peter's weeping, while he was remembering Jesus' prediction of his denial, maybe he thought about those words that Jesus said right afterwards, to not let his heart be troubled or afraid, that Jesus would come back. Maybe Peter despite all that he was going through, was able to attain a small measure of peace. Peace knowing that everything would be okay. Judas never had that. Judas never accepted Jesus' sovereignty and, at the end of his life, never could have accepted his power, his forgiveness, or his peace. Peace, true peace, allows us to go on when we can't see a reason to. Peace allows us, even in our darkest times, to keep going and to keep hoping. As it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7, through 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. No matter what you might be going through, if you have been baptized into Christ and you are living for Him, you have that peace. You have that peace that surpasses all understanding. So if you're struggling with worry and anxiety, if you are struggling to overcome a sin, or maybe struggling to forgive yourself for something you've done, remember this. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died for you so that you could have perfect peace. Peace knowing that no matter what, everything is ultimately okay because you are forgiven and you have a home with God. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at feedback at thepipelineproject.com. If you enjoy the show, I would love it if you would spread the word. This podcast can only continue to grow with your help. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have it delivered right to your device. And while you're there, a rating or review would be very helpful to help more people find the show. Watch for future episodes released on Sundays. See you next time, and thanks for listening.